Father, we thank you for another day of your grace, another day that we can rise and draw breath. We thank you for your lordship over our lives. And we have come together this morning again to declare that there is no one like you. And Father, we thank you that our hope lies in Christ alone. We thank you that you sent him to die on the cross for us so that we could have relationship with you again. So Lord, as we spend time now again worshipping you, meditating on your scripture, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be present with us and that you yourself would be ministering to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andrea, and thank you, Uncle Peter and Helen and Lydia with Jess and Josh in the background for, for leading us so beautifully in worship this morning. So this morning is day 136 of lockdown. And this morning we are going to continue in our series on foundations. Last week Craig helped us to look at the value of community and how in a sense we are yoked together. And afterwards we had this wonderful a Zoom meeting where we heard about the fact that God is still at work now and we, were heard, we heard lots of awesome testimonies of, of God's grace. And this week we are going to consider another important foundation block in the aspect of perseverance and resilience. And I think it is important as we consider our foundations that we recognize that we must support our faith with perseverance and resilience. Perseverance is not just a matter of trying harder or forcing ourselves to continue or to keep going when we are fearful or tired, but it is also of taking time to nourish our relationship with God. So resilience and perseverance is important to us because it supports our own faith. We will have a very shaky faith if we don't practice resilience and perseverance, obviously. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 22, But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And then also the writer of Hebrews says to us in chapter 12, he says that since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we should throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and ensnares us so that we can run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. And then James also reminds us in chapter 1, and he, pro the, he reminds us and he, and he promises that those who persevere to the end will receive a crown. There are many more scriptures that teach us about the importance and the value of perseverance and resilience. Now for us to be able to practice resilience and perseverance in our faith, we must identify those distractions in our lives. Distractions that have the potential to weaken, in a sense, our relationship with God and our service unto Him. And I think it's important that we remember that there are enemies, there are forces at work 
working against us, working against our perseverance and our resilience, trying to hinder and entangle us in this race that has been set before us. Now this morning I, I would want us to consider this topic from the angle of considering why perseverance is of importance. And I would like for us to do so by looking at the nation of Israel and seeing how the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, managed their faith with regards to perseverance and resilience. Now before we get into our text for this morning, I just want to share with you a, a story from my early days of faith. A story that I, that I imagine many of you, many of you, may be able to relate to. Now, I made a commitment to Christ and I became a follower when I was 20 years old. And around that time, I had many friends and we would do everything together. We'd go out, we would spend time in each other's company. You know, the kind of things that, that young adults do. And I had this particular friend who was closer to me than, than some of the other guys, as we all probably do. And he made a commitment to Christ about a year after I did. And so then we would go to, to church together when we were able to. We would talk about our faith. And in our awkwardness as young believers, we would even share our faith. And it was about a year and a half later that I started noticing a change in my friend. Um, I heard that he was clubbing and I, I would hear that he had started drinking alcohol. Um, he was all of a sudden not available to go to church anymore. And he even started losing interest in, in our friendship. And all of these things, these occurrences happened over the course of a few months. And it actually appeared that he slowly started, he started hanging out with new friends. He started engaging in activities that were uncharacteristic. So there was this slow drift further and further away. And then one day I recall um, I received a phone call from his grandmother, a very stern woman who was able to correct you with just a stare. And um, she had this conversation with me and she asked me questions about my friend. And she said to me that she was concerned because she suspected that he had started using drugs. That phone call was a confirmation for me that my friend had gone over the edge. And he had, in a sense, turned his back on his faith. And like I said, it didn't happen quickly. It happened over a period of a few months with small decisions. He stopped engaging in intentional relationships or, or spiritual community. He started making small moral compromises that began to add up over time. He began to brush off people who were lovingly kind of trying to help him because he wasn't interested in hearing that thing. And 
I can recall in that moment, I realized that I could have gone the same way. I realized that what happened to my friend could actually have happened to me. And I realized that I wasn't beyond that. I could have gone myself on that slow drift and made small decisions that would have gradually led me further and further away. Now, my friend's story, I imagine, isn't unusual. I believe that many of you listening to, to this would know of someone who found themselves in a similar position. And since then, I have always reminded myself that I am just a few poor decisions away from slipping, from falling back. I am not exempt from something like that. And I, and I hope that this morning's message will remind all of us that none of us are exempt of that. Right now, we find ourselves in a very difficult time and we find ourselves hard-pressed on every side. You know, and the, the pressures of this time could cause many people to fall or to slip if they don't persevere and if they don't exercise resilience. Now, I also think that there's a, there's a similar kind of drift some of us find ourselves in from time to time. You know, we have different seasons in our journeys as we run our race that we have to be very cognizant of. We have to be very cognizant of the seasons that we find ourselves in. However, I think that a regular practice of assessing where we are at, coupled with action, should bring us back onto the path. Now we're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 17. And 2 Kings chapter 17 can be viewed as a warning to us, depending on where you are at. A warning that could be interpreted as a message to say, wake up, re-engage, to be consistent in being resilient and showing and exercising perseverance. Now we'll read 2 Kings chapter 17, we'll read verses 6 to 2, um, 20. Um, so if you have your Bible, you can get it ready. But before we go there, it will be helpful just to get context of what's going on here in these few verses that we are going to read. Um, and um, so let me give you some context. <clears throat> so the people of Israel have been led out of Egypt. They've gone through the wilderness and they've come into the promised land. The people go into the land and, and at that time they, they didn't have kings, but what they did have were um, tribal chieftains called judges and that continued for a long time came to a point where the Israelites wanted a king of their own and then Saul became Israel's first king followed by Saul we remember David became the next king and then after David um, David's son Solomon became the next king of Israel and then right after Solomon there's a change there's a, there's a split in the nation of, of Israel. And they form two kingdoms. In the northern kingdom, they call themselves Israel. And in the southern kingdom, they call themselves Judah. 
Now, this is then also the time when prominent prophets come to the fore. Um, and these prophets come to the fore because there's idol worship and there's a turning away from God. And we, if, if we, 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 we follow in scripture, we, we see prophets like Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah and, and others. And these prophets have come, as I said, because God people, God's people had ignored his commands and they began turning to pagan gods and they had effectively become weak both morally and physically. As, um, and then as judgment for their waywardness, God allowed powerful nations to destroy and conquer the Israelites. And some... At some, with some instances, they were exiled. Now, there are three occasions where God allowed his people to be conquered and exiled. And we read about why the first one happened here in these few verses that we are going to see. The last point before we read. In those biblical times when um, powerful nations conquered another one, they learned that destroying an enemy's, in destroying an enemy's land, it wasn't a good idea to allow these people who they have conquered to remain in it. Because for them, it ruined um, potential crop resources and it gave an opportunity for the conquered people to regroup and possibly rebel. And so what they did was they deported the conquered people to other lands. And then they brought in people from other places to live in that conquered territory. And this mixing of ethnic groups made an organized rebellion against them less likely. So let's, let's read now from 2 Kings chapter 17. We'll read a little bit, then we'll chat, and then we'll, we'll read some more. So... Verse 6 of Second uh, Kings chapter 17. We'll read until verse 13. In the 6th year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and deported the Israelites to Assyria. He settled them in Halah, in Gozan, on the Habor River and in the towns of the Medes. All this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. They worshipped other gods and followed the practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before them, as well as the practices which the kings of Israel had introduced. The Israelites secretly did things against the Lord their God, that were not right. From watchtower to fortified city, they built themselves high places in all their towns. They set up sacred stones and asherah poles on every high hill and under every spreading tree. At every high place they burned incense, as the nations whom the Lord had driven out before them had done. They did wicked things that provoked the Lord to anger. They worshipped idols, though the Lord had said, You shall not do this. The Lord warned Israel and Judah, 
through all his prophets and seers. Turn from your evil ways. Observe my commands and decrees in accordance with the entire law that I commanded your fathers to obey and that I delivered to you through my servants, the prophets. The story of God's people, as we read here, is it's tragic because it had started out so positive with God rescuing them from slavery in Egypt, providing leadership for them, and then on into a new life. And then we see they reject him and they start worshipping other gods. And as I think about it, it reminds me of the story of my friend. Scholars tell us that Asherah, this goddess that is named here in verse 10, was apparently a common Canaanite fertility goddess. Baal, the god of rain and thunder, is, is also mentioned. But this goddess, Asherah, was worshipped by the people of the land before the Israelites arrived there. And worship of this goddess involved sex rituals and animal sacrifice. And what the writer makes clear here in verse 9 is that it was all being done in secret. Everybody knew this was going on and many people were doing it. But it was happening secretly, not spoken of in public. And as we think of that, we see the slow drift of things starting to happen secretly. And this is how it starts. You don't make a big deal about it. You do it on the side. Nobody needs to know. And so if you are not resilient enough to say no, and don't practice perseverance, you would slowly find yourself drifting and then finally lost at sea, which is where we see the Israelites finding themselves. I think right now, during lockdown, we have more time to ourselves. And so there's a sense in which there's more time for secret decisions. And so we can either resist the forces that will come against our faith in various ways that could lead us away, or we can support our faith with perseverance and resilience. Let's continue to read from verse 14. Verse 14 says, But they would not listen and were as stiff-necked as their fathers, who did not trust in the Lord their God. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their fathers and the warnings he had given them. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do, and yet they did the things the Lord had forbidden them to do. The writer uses an interesting choice of words here. He says that these slow, secret choices that they had made in worshipping worthless gods, 
other than Yahweh, made them themselves worthless. This is quite profound. Um, when our ultimate allegiance and life goals are oriented towards anything that is not the true one God, it starts to dehumanize us because we are made in His image. And I think then we become less and less ourselves and become more and more obsessed with whatever the thing is that we have pledged our allegiance to. And when I think about that, it's kind of like my friend who became less and less himself the further and further away he drifted. Verse 16. They forsook all the commands of the Lord their God and made for themselves two idols cast in the shape of calves, that sounds familiar, and an ashrapo. They bowed down to all the starry hosts and they worshipped Baal. They sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire. They practiced divination and sorcery and sold themselves to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger. So the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah was left, and even Judah did not keep the commands of the Lord their God. They followed the practices Israel had introduced. Therefore the Lord rejected all the people of Israel. He afflicted them and gave them into the hands of plunderers until he thrust them from his presence. We'll stop reading there. Now this is not the end of the story for the Israelites. But up until this point, it's very disappointing. Because we see God's chosen people over a period of time having an incredibly blessed start. And then slowly not wanting to listen, their hearts becoming hardened slowly growing in the compromise of God's law. Now I bet that they never envisaged themselves doing the things that they ended up doing that we read about here. I struggle to see them being led into the land by Joshua and saying to themselves, you know what's going to give us joy? burning our sons and our daughters as sacrifices. Oh, and you know what? And then we will sell ourselves to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. I, I don't see that happening. I think rather there was this slow drift, a lack of having built resilience and perseverance so that their faith could be supported. In closing, God invites us through the gospel into a vital life-giving relationship. And Jesus wants to radically change our hearts and he radically wants to change our values and our passions. Yet it's important that we remember that it is a relationship. 
The gospel invites us into a relationship. And so as it is in relationships, there's give and take. And the scary reality of this journey of following Jesus is that, yes, God will soften our hearts. He'll be at work in our lives. The Holy Spirit will continue to be at work in us and through us. But at the end of the day, we can choose to harden our hearts. We can choose to walk away. Just like my friend did. And so I must be resilient enough to know that what happened to God's people here in 2 Kings is something that could happen to me. Now while I know that God gives me eternal life and that I will never perish and no one will snatch me out of his hand as it says in John chapter 10, I am not too mature that I would not be able to fall into sin. And I think this is what the writer is warning us of here. And so I believe that we ought to build our resilience and our perseverance so that our ears are always open to hear and our hearts are always soft enough to respond to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us. Before I pray, I do want to encourage you. Perhaps you find yourself now in a season where the gospel possibly doesn't seem to have the power to stir you towards change and growth. And perhaps as you evaluate your journey right now in following Jesus, you feel that you yourself, you yourself, may be slowly drifting away. Let me encourage you, reach out to someone. You could speak to Craig, you could speak to one of our elders, we have life group leaders that you could speak to, reach out to a good Christian friend, you could reach out to myself, we're all available to, to help you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God of resilience and perseverance and that you desire to persevere with us, even though we have at times these desires to draw away from you. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name that even as we find ourselves now in this difficult time, this difficult period of ourselves having been exiled from one another in a sense, we ask that you would come and build in us a resilience and a perseverance that would carry us until the day when we see you face to face. In Jesus' name we pray.